Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series in the book of Isaiah with this sermon entitled, The Day of the Lord. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Now here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. The Day of the Lord is introduced here in chapter 2, the day of the Lord. There is a day of the Lord. It is ordained, it is set, it is appointed, and the day of the Lord means God will reveal in his judicial majesty. And he will reveal himself in his judicial majesty to humble the arrogant man, every arrogant man, which includes those who call themselves God's people. So verse 6 through 11 deals with them. And uh, verse 12 through 18 deals with the rest of the people. The people of God prided themselves with this idea, the day of the Lord. They thought the day of the Lord is going to judge those who are not the people of God. The day of the Lord is going to be favorable to Israel and Judah. But the prophets had a surprising message. The day of the Lord will also deal with the arrogant of his people. So he is coming and the day is ordained and fixed. He's coming to humble the arrogant man who worships creation and not the creator God. So he's going to humble every arrogant man. He will come in his judgment. He will come in his great glory. So one purpose is to humble the arrogant. The other purpose is to exalt himself. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. He alone will be exalted on that day when he comes in his judicial majesty, when he comes to humble all arrogant people, the pagans, the unbelieving, as well as the unbelieving of the church. So the book tells us about a problem. And of course it's the problem of human arrogance. And so let us take a look at verse 6. You have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. Well, already God has abandoned them. Certainly not finally, nor completely. God will always save his people. His people will believe in him. I said his people are a minority of people. A small minority. Church within the church. All Israel are not Israel. And this is true right here in this church. Those who hear my voice. Some are not believing people. Others are. So this chapter is relevant. The day of the Lord, he is going to humble you. 
He has you in mind. You are targeted and he's coming. So God has abandoned the house of Jacob. Now we are told why has he abandoned. And we are told here because, you see that word is not here, that's a problem with this translation. There is in the Hebrew the word ki, in Hebrew means because, because. See, God has a reason. God is not irrational. God has a reason for his judgment as well as for his salvation. Because they are full of. Now that word is used a number of times, about four times in this section. They are full of. They are filled with. They are full of. It is like a ship that is loaded with. There is no room for anything else. They are full of. As God's people, we are to be filled with the Holy Ghost. As God's people, we are to be filled with his word. As God's people, we are to be indwelt by Christ and his word. But these people are full of something else. They are called God's people, chosen by God. God blessed these people. God redeemed them out of Egypt, brought them into Canaan. God put his name in Jerusalem. But something happened. Something happens to the mind. The humble person who once loved God and read the Bible, prayed earnestly, loved God and loved God's people, eager to hear the word of God. Something happened after some time. They are full of. Full of what? Well, let's take a look at it. Full of. Take a look at verse 6. They are full of superstitions from the east. Now Deuteronomy 18 tells us don't get into these superstitions, these lies. From the east means Assyria, Babylon, all those areas. You can say from the east means from India. Superstitions. It's an amazing thing what happened to the western world which had a biblical basis. Now they hate that Bible. The East has come and filled the West with superstitions. University of North Carolina, the freshman students are required to read Quran. Not the Bible, the Quran. They hate, the West hates the Bible. Why? They are filled to the full with superstitions. I don't have time to read the superstition, but I turn to Daniel 2. I told you there was a dream, and Nebuchadnezzar wandered the astrologers, experts, wise people, soothsayers, fortune tellers, to come tell him the dream and give interpretation. And what happened? No one was able to do it. They were all frauds. Superstitions. Or look at Ahab and 400 
prophets, liars, filled with superstitions. Now the question is, how come they are full of this? Because they rejected truth, God's revelation. I have seen people, their mind is gone. You cannot reason with them from the book. I used to, I was able to do it, but now I cannot talk about reasoned way of doing it. Mind is gone. But they are filled with what? Superstitions. And not only that, uh, you see, now we have this word diversityism. Diversity. You go to Europe everywhere, we want diversity. It is called what? Superstition. That's all diversity is. It's superstition. And you go any place in the marketplace of ideas. What you have is superstition. Don't ever speak about Jesus Christ. About the Bible. About God's revelation. God's truth. And not only that. Take a look at. They practice divination like the Philistines. I don't have time. But First Samuel 5. You know the ark was placed at the temple of Dagon in Ashdod. And they came back in the morning. What happened? This idol of Dagon fell down. So they said, don't worry, we'll put it up. And they did. It came the next morning. And not only it fell down, the head was broken, hands were broken. God is humorous. Superstition. And the Judah and Israel know the history. But it is pathetic that you go back to that type of nothingness and lies, and you embrace it. Whether it is from the East, or whether it is from the Philistines, and they are eager to clasp hands with the Gentiles. Fellowship, they don't want separation, you see. God's people must live a separate life, a holy life, but here we are told what? And clasp hands with pagans. Oh, the fascination. The people of God were fascinated with superstition, with divination, with the lies. And you see this, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, the 13th chapter, tells you this lack of separation. 13th chapter, and this is applicable to some of you, let me read it to you. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Fascinated with pagans. Fascinated with paganism. Fascinated with worldliness. Fascinated with pagan culture. Fascinated with Ashdod language, which is Philistine language. But they didn't know how to speak the Hebrew language. Are we not doing the same thing? Fascination, superstition, lies, frauds. All these ideas coming into the head. But we don't want this thing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible says they are full of. They have no room for anything else. 
And not only that, verse 7, their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. So, notice Solomon. You are reading Solomon and this great material prosperity. What tragedy. And then there was the 8th century, the period of Uzziah and Jeroboam II in the north. Tremendous economic growth. Materialism. Oh, if only we have two more dollars. If only I have a little more money, I could buy an SUV. Oh, I could smell it and touch it and shine it. What a wonderful thing is to have an SUV. If only, if only have a little more money, then I could go for vacation in Tahiti. Little more money, that's all I'm asking. A little more money, please. See, they are full of silver and gold. They are, they are filled with it. No room for God. They're filled with it. And I want you to notice whether it is going to help them in terms of their relationship toward God. Are they going toward God with this new knowledge, superstition? Whether it is scientism or anything else. This new knowledge... <laughs> We have come a long way. We are filled with knowledge. Oh, well, Pastor Matthew is standing there and talking about God and the Bible and all that. We have new knowledge. We are the new Gnostics. Who cares about the Bible and Jesus Christ and God created the worlds and, and all that is coming again. We have new knowledge. We are full of superstitions. Not only that, we make money. We make a lot of money. We are full of money. We are the materialists. But turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. There was a warning given by God. It is interesting to read that warning. 17th chapter. This is the warning to the king. Verse 16, the king... Moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horse, horses. We'll come to the horses later on for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not what? Accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. It is written down, brothers and sisters, the, the, you know, if only we got a little more money. I recently spoke to somebody, don't be like your father. Don't run after money. I don't know money led a person toward God. I'm open to suggestion from the biblical story. Here God himself giving guidance to the king, don't accumulate silver or gold or wives or horses because your heart is going to go away from me. They become idols. But not only that, they are full of something else. Where their, their, their land is full of horses and there is no end to their chariots. That's speaking about power, particularly military power. We are told the king is told, don't do it. God will defend you. Don't trust in military power. 
But they multiplied horses and multiplied chariots and they are trusting in their military power. Or oh, they have money, they would give the money to Assyria or give the money to Egypt all the time. They don't pray, they don't inquire of the Lord, they don't need God. They are politically competent people. They have come of age. I'm saying there was a time you listened to me and now you don't want to. Oh, why should you listen to me or to the Lord? We have what? Money. What else we have? Power. You have a job. Money. Power. What else you have? New knowledge. This profound knowledge. What else do you have? Well, you grew up. <laughs> Isn't that true? You grew up and you are beginning to flex the muscles and, and all that. But let's find out whether these people are becoming more spiritual, more holy. Listen. Well, they are full of something else. This is the fourth fullness. The land is full of idols. The land is full of what? Idols. Oh. In other words, they completely abandoned God, the Lord, the Yahweh, the Redeemer, the creator of the ends of the earth, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the one who is high and lifted up. That's what this new knowledge will do. The new knowledge did not bring you to greater spirituality. I had a man here, you know, he, he's a young fellow, I baptized him and, and recently came to us and he said he, does, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. He has new knowledge and he grew tall. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the Bible. New knowledge, silver and gold, new power. It brought you down to the dumps of idolatry. So much so it says the land is full of idols. Look at these fools. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So this is the problem. Idols. Turn with me to, if you want, to the book of uh, Judges, 17th chapter, I believe. There was a rich family who had about 1,100 shekels of silver. Remember that story? <laughs> the book of Judges, in those days there was no king and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And there was a pretty rich family, 1,100 shekels of silver. But, if, but the kid by name Micah stole it from the mother. I don't know what happened to the father. So the mother looked for this treasure, 1,100 shekels, a wedge of silver probably, it was not there. So she pronounced a curse upon the one who stole it. And so the son, Micah, heard this curse. And so he came and said, Mama, I stole it. Right here, this is what. And she was so pleased. And she gave 200 shekels to make what? An idol. Now, what is idol? Uh, when you read the Hebrew Bible, the word for God is El... The basic word for God, El. But for idols, the word is Elili, means zeros, worthlessness. Elilim, nothing. 
It's amazing, these people with the new education, people with money, people with the power, you look at them, they are bowing down to these elilim, the nothings, the zeros, the work of their fingers. They hate the true God. Now the question is, why do people, people do this? Why do people practice idolatry? Listen to mediums and spiritists, the mutterings of men. Why do people listen to these new Gnostics? And you have in the church new Gnostics, Benny Hinn, the faith movement, all that is new Gnostics. And, and, and the people by the thousands crowd to them all over the world. They are the new Gnostics. They don't want somebody preaching or teaching the real thing. They hate that. They hate. It is not exciting. I want excitement. Idolatry is an attempt to bend God to our will by remaking him in our image to control our own future. And in the final analysis... Idolatry is demonic. It is demon is behind it. So, God's people. God helped them. God saved them. God blessed them. God gave them victory. God loved them. You see the Bible, this, this prophecy opens by this complaint from God. What is it? Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. And you parents, you will notice it. When your son, when your daughter spit on your face, and it is going to happen. Remember the word I spoke. Then you will understand how God feels a little bit. In him we live and move and have our being. He, he, he be, exists because of him. He provides us everything. And yet he is the one people hate. So idolatry is an attempt to bend God to our, our will by remaking him in our image to control our future. Well, let's go on. What else that they are full of? Even though that word doesn't appear here. Let me tell you what they are full of. Now, why? Why did these people, God's people, why did they turn away from God? It is God who gave them all kinds of blessings. Why did they turn away? Because of pride. Arrogance. C.S. Lewis said, pride is the sin that what? Made the devil the devil. And we had somebody in this church who wrote to me and said, Pastor, your ministry is very important to me. It keeps me humble, essentially speaking, from pride. Because I told him, you have a big pride problem. And he said, yeah, it's a bad problem. Pastor, it is the problem that made devil the devil. So notice then, verse 11, the eyes of the arrogant man will be what? Humble. God will never tolerate 
a human being or an angel to be arrogant before him. It is his mission to humble him. He will do it. He is focused singularly on this purpose of humbling. Notice verse 11. And the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Look at verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty for all that is exalted. He's going to pull you down. He must pull you down. It is necessary that he pulls you down because there is only one who is high and lifted up. Soli Deo Gloria. God alone will be lifted up. And look at verse 17. The arrogance of man will be brought low. And the pride of men will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. There is a day. He's going to put you down. See, this is what he does. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. He exalts those who humble. And what? He humbles those who exalt themselves. It's going to happen. Just believe me. You don't have to wait for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord also takes place in human history. Now you should examine what happened in your own life. That pain and the misery and all that. God brought it because he wanted to humble you. So man rejects true God. Man rejects the truth. Man rejects the spring of living water. <laughs> man is running after water to drink from broken cisterns. Man is proud, man is arrogant. He gave you money, he gave you position, he gave you everything, he gave you existence. It didn't help. You hated him, they hated him. This is speaking about the people of God. All right, so that's a problem. They are full of, full of pride. So the problem solved. Let's see how the problem is solved. Look at verse 11. Verse 12, verse 17, and verse 20. These verses tell you the Lord Almighty has a day in store. There's a day. All right, what is he going to do on that day? Go home and read Romans 2. The whole chapter you can read. Particularly Romans 2, verse 3, 5, 8, 9, and 16. Saint Paul deals with the Lord's day in that chapter in terms of his judgment. He's going to do it. You can fool everybody. You will not fool him. Take a look at verse 10 and 19 and verse 21. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the dread of the Lord. The day of the Lord will bring terror. That's, a, that's the right word. Terror, the Lord's wrath, the Lord's judicial majesty, terror, dread of the Lord. 
Look at verse 19. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and holes in the ground from the terror. It should be translated terror of the Lord. The Lord's terror. He comes to terrorize the arrogant, the proud, the mighty, the self-exalting. You hear about terrorists. You wait until the day of the Lord when you know something about the real terror. Look at verse 21. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the what? Terror of the Lord. Oh, it is something that you cannot even imagine. The terror of the Lord. Oh, we have this idea, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, romanticized view of Jesus. Sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, what a wonder you are. You have dimples on your cheeks that I love. Sweet Jesus. See, this is the Christianity. So when you talk about judgment and terror and hell, they say, they doesn't compute, doesn't compute, doesn't compute, kicks out. They don't know what that is. Terror of the Lord. There's real terror coming. Not only in history, you look at the flood. It was big terror. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. It was terror. Look at the Red Sea, the armies. <laughs> Horses and the drivers and the chariots sank in it. Terror! You don't have to wait for the day of the Lord to learn about the reality of divine judgment. He humbles the arrogant. Terror! In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says in the King James Version, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Terror! Another thing I must notice, come to verse 12, and let me read to you. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for, that word for, I don't translate that way, because it is, that's a crazy translation. The correct translation in, is in Revised Standard Version. Against, every for should be translated what? Against, against, against. Ten times that word al in Hebrew appears in verse 12 through 16. This God in his great glory and judicial majesty is coming down against you. That's the idea. Against all the idols. Against you, man, he's coming. Against the arrogant. Against the proud, he's coming. Against, that's the word. How many times it is? Ten times used. Verse 12, 13, and, and 14, 15, and 16. Let me read it to you. The Lord Almighty has a day in store against all the proud and lofty. Notice this is no longer just Judah and Israel. Now all are included. All the proud and lofty. Against all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against all the towering mountains. Against all the high hills. Against every lofty tower. 
that is inaccessible tower, the most secure kind. He's going to come against it. And you saw it in 9-11. Oh, the proud, arrogant Western man in his capital power. And we all are filled with fear. Trillions of dollars lost. And more need to be spent. You don't have to wait for the day of the Lord. It is happening in history. <laughs> against, against every fortified wall. Against every trading ship. Oh, we are into commerce. Great commerce. Global trade to make two bucks. And every stately vessel... Actually, it is vessels of pleasure. Apparently, I don't know whether you're speaking about uh, cruising ships. <laughs> but it actually means ships of pleasure. Notice ten times. Son, God knows how to deal with you. Don't you ever think he doesn't know how to humble you. He has the ways and means and he has the power and might. And he has the wisdom to humble you and cast you down to the earth. Because he doesn't like anybody rising up to be equal with him. It will never happen. So that notice verse 11 and verse 17 is the purpose. What is the purpose of this day of the Lord? There is the overarching purpose. What is the purpose? The Lord what? alone will be what? Exalted. St. Paul tells us every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ alone Lord. That is going to happen. And turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. It says this, only concerning this transcendent sovereign God we can say he is lifted up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and what? And nobody else. Nobody else. Turn with me to 52nd chapter of Isaiah. Verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely, speaking about Jesus Christ. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. He humbled himself, humbled himself, therefore God exalted him highly. And he is seated with God the Father. And 57th chapter of Isaiah and verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He is the high and lofty one, not you. Not you. Not a nation, not nations altogether, not United Nations, nobody. He will not let you to be exalted. Remember the story of Babel. He comes down to confuse you and pull you down. But if you humble yourselves, you will be exalted. And St. Paul tells concerning the church, we are seated with him. There is a way to be lifted up. It is the way of humility. 
It is the way of response. It is the way of submission. It is the way of faith. It is the way of obedience. And he lifts you up. He comes to your dump ash heap and picks you up as he has done you and me. <laughs> That's why I always say I knew when you didn't have anything to eat. I was here. I baptized you. I helped you. I counseled you. Oh, you don't like to hear that, but I want to tell you that. God helped you. And so my counsel to us is not to follow the way of Judah or Israel, but keep humbling yourself. Keep humbling yourself. And he will lift you up in due season. Now, very quickly, look at verse 19 and verse 21. Take a look at this, what will happen when the day of the Lord comes when God in his judicial majesty and great power comes against you. Let's find out what happened. Oh, this powerful person with superstition, with the new knowledge, with a lot of gold and silver, eh, with horses and chariots, this mighty man. Let's find out what he's doing. Look at verse 19. And it tells us what? Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground to get away from the terror of the Lord. Hey, I thought you were proud. I thought you are a Philadelphia lawyer that you would uh, come up with arguments. Oh, no, 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 no. You see them fleeing like rodents, like cockroaches when the light is turned on. The mighty man disappears, attempts to disappear. From what? The terror of the Lord, he will not make it. Look at verse 21. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the terror of the Lord. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. The day of the Lord is described by John. Verse 16, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the wrath, from him who sits on the throne and from what? The wrath of the Lamb. For the great day, here it is, the Lord's day, the great day of their wrath has come. And who can abide it? And you can go home and read 16th chapter of Revelation where God pours out his wrath. And three times in that chapter we are told they cursed God. As they experienced the pain of it. They cursed God. They cursed God. They cursed God. But what happens to our idols, our nice idols? Let's take a look at verse 18. And the idols will totally disappear. It was a fraud. It was lie. In other words, the idea is it doesn't help at the moment of your need. It's like the insurance policy. They said it will take care of you. And when you, when you had a need, they said, no, that's not covered. That's not covered at all. You worshipped it. You massaged it. You got up in the, in the morning. You worshipped it. 
whether it is idols of ideas or idols of metals, you worshipped it, you tried to manipulate God and bend him to your prophet, you hoped in it, you trusted. We said, come and trust in Jesus Christ. You said, no, 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 not at all. I don't need God. And you are trusting in your ideas, in everything else, in your money, in your power, in your brain, power, wisdom, everything else. Look at verse 18, it tells uh, the Elilim, these nothings, these zeros, disappear. And look at verse 20, in that day men will throw away to the rodents and bats. In other words, will throw away the idols as unclean and useless and worthless as they keep running. Away from God's wrath. You saw these people running when 9-11 took place. Have you seen that? It's an interesting sight to see. You can watch it. They're running away from it. And they escaped. But this time, you cannot escape. Give you a little counsel which is found in this Bible, in this chapter. What is idolatry? It is trusting in man. Because this idol is something you made. So it is trusting in human creativity. Idolatry is... Anthropocentrism is worship of man. That's number one. But here it is. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in his nostrils. The idea here is Genesis 2-7. God breathed into him the breath of life. And he became a nefesh higher, a living soul. And so the idea is this breathing being is to worship the one who made him. That's what he should be doing. And now he doesn't want that. He makes idols who disappoints him. Number one, idolatry is trusting in man. And you should not trust any person who breathes. God alone is the one who doesn't breathe. He doesn't depend on that breath for existence. Number two. You notice idolatry fails you. Go ahead, worship your husband, worship your wife, worship your children. Worship your money. I guarantee they fail you at the moment of your need. They are incompetent. Idolatry, what? Fails you. Number three. The day of the Lord is certain. It is not ambiguous. But there is a certainty. but It's fixed. Because he will not tolerate human or angelic arrogance. It's fixed. Number four, you cannot on that day flee and escape. Therefore, number five, now you are able. You can escape now. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now he says, come unto me. I will give you rest. Now he says, come, humble yourselves, come to me, trust Jesus Christ alone, who is the Savior of the world. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the Savior. He has come. He died on the cross for your salvation. Why? Labor for that which satisfies you not. Jesus Christ is the Savior. All religions, is a fraud, is superstition. 
God's the most terrible hatred and wrath of God he will unleash against superstitions. There is no greater sin than creating a religion of man. Whether it is Mohammedanism, Hinduism, whatever it is, it makes no sense. Everything is superstition from the East that fails you. And there is only one true and living God. And he said, this is eternal life, that, you, that they may know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And pray that, that God be merciful to you. That God will forgive your arrogance, your pride, your idolatry, your trusting in money, in new Gnosticism. Trusting in your power, your position. And the old tenderness is gone. Now there is a certain hardness set in. We have fallen from the first love. The Bible says, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first things. Think about it seriously. The day of the Lord is coming. Heavenly Father, we pray that you have mercy upon us. Help us to humble ourselves that you may exalt us in due time. Help us now to cast away our idols because they are useless, they fail. Now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. Help us to flee to Christ. He is the ark, he is the sanctuary, he is the city of refuge. Help us to trust in your son alone for our salvation. Forgive all our arrogance now. Clothe us with humility. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio presenting this sermon from the series in the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.